Helis, and welcome to Renegade Files. I'm your space archaeologist, Lex Gordon, broadcasting this underground signal to you, our agent in the field, from the Jungle Villa Outpost, deep in the uncharted tropics. This is Renegade Files episode number 25, Mars Anomalies. Since the days of antiquity, Mars has captured the attentions and imaginations of all who look to the heavens. For some mysterious reason, we, as Earthlings, are drawn to the Martian surface. The Red Planet has occupied a pole position in science and science fiction since the 1800s when astronomers first peered through high-powered telescopes and saw what they thought were canals on Mars. Every time we have looked at Mars since, first through telescopes, then with orbiters, and currently with unmanned rovers, the images that come back to us cause controversy and curiosity. On this episode of Renegade Files, we travel to the next stop out from our sun to a planet named for the Roman god of war. We will explore what have come to be known as the Mars Anomalies. Images, artifacts, statues, carvings, and even life forms that should not be there, but nevertheless appear to be. Are there pyramids on Mars? Is there plant life and liquid water on Mars? And why are the newer orbiter photographs of certain objects on Mars more blurry than those from 1975? Is it possible that there are things on Mars that NASA, for whatever reason, has an interest in hiding? Board the RFA starship Cydonia, strap yourself in, and come with me as we travel 140 million miles through space to explore the red planet in search of the Mars Anomalies. I've had Mars on my list of potential episode topics since that first day when I put pen to paper and began to develop my ideas to create this podcast. This is a subject I've been interested in since I was a kid watching Star Wars, Star Trek, and all of the sci-fi I grew up on, including classic cartoon characters Marvin the Martian and The Great Gazoo. I love The Great Gazoo. I started working on Mars research some time ago and pushed through to certain points a few times, but I always found myself doubling back and arriving at conflicting evidence. Then I finally came to the conclusion that what we are dealing with here are two distinct conspiracy theories. In order to process and coalesce all of the information surrounding Mars and our current viewpoints of it, I had to divide these two theories in order to proceed, and in short, to get anything done. The two major conspiracy theories we find ourselves confronting with regard to Mars are 1. There is clear evidence for out-of-place artifacts, intelligent design, signs of previous life, and artificially created structures on the surface of Mars as photographed by our orbiters and rovers. And 2. That the rovers are not actually on Mars at all and are snapping pics from some remote location right here on Earth. So you can see how quickly you could paint yourself into a corner if you tried to analyze those two theories simultaneously. However, the two ideas do prop each other up into an either-or conclusion. Either there are squirrels and statues on Mars, or the Mars rovers are here on Earth. 
I'll spare you the suspense and come clean with my beliefs right now. Both could be true simultaneously. What I have deduced is that some of the pics seem to be from some desolate spot on Earth and there is some pretty shocking evidence to support that theory. But I also fully believe we have orbiters around and rovers upon Mars, because many of the objects there are far too big to go unnoticed. That is, if they were here on Earth, we would know it. One example is an active volcano the size of France. So this episode focuses on those out-of-place artifacts, objects, and unexplained images we see from the orbiters and rovers on Mars, as well as Mars propaganda and some other Martian deep state big corp hijinks. Then the down and dirty conspiracy punk episode filled with mind-blowing evidence that at least one of the Mars rovers is actually located right here on Earth is posted and ready for you to dive into in the Patreon bonus episodes. So check that out through the Patreon link in the show notes where you can become an RFA agent, help support the show, and for a very small donation, get tons of extra Renegade Files content to melt your mind. Rock on. The idea of Martians burst into the collective consciousness in 1877 when Italian astronomer Giovanni Schiaparelli saw through his telescope what he described as canals. Shortly thereafter, in 1894, wealthy adventurer Percival Lowell saw these same features through his telescope and he doubled down on the idea of their intelligent design and function. Percival Lowell built the Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona, and he delivered a steady stream of Mars observation reports to newspapers and magazines, and the resulting articles fueled the public's imagination with tales of sophisticated, futuristic Martian cities teeming with life and sending Martians forth in flying saucers to poke around on Earth now and then. Check out the picture of Percival Lowell at his telescope through the link in the show notes. It's cool. To date, the people of Earth have sent about 50 missions to Mars. These include orbiters and unmanned rover missions, both successful and unsuccessful, from a variety of countries and joint nation projects. The main missions we'll look at here are the USA-NASA-JPL missions of the Viking 1 and 2 orbiter landers in the mid-70s, the Curiosity rover which arrived at Mars in 2011 with the stated goal of assessing whether or not Mars could have, did, or does support microbial life. The Curiosity rover is still operating by the way and the most recent mission of the lander Perseverance and its helicopter drone Ingenuity, both of which are there now as well. We begin with what has come to be known as the Face on Mars. Now, the Face on Mars was first photographed by NASA's Viking 1 lander as it orbited Mars before landing on 25 July 1976 in the Cydonia region. The Viking missions are the first missions we're going to go into here, and the face on Mars is the first anomaly in a long list of strange things we're going to look at, but here ends the chronology. 
yes, we are starting with the first and the most famous, but as we move ahead in the podcast, we won't go in any particular order because in the greater scheme of things, when and on what mission these artifacts were captured is not the main point. So with regard to this face photograph, it is striking. It would be impractical for me to put links to every picture we're going to analyze in this episode in the show notes, but the Wikipedia Cydonia article online does a decent job of corralling the relevant face pics in one place, so I will put that link in the show notes so you can check out the images and see what you think as we go through these first Mars anomalies. The first image that we see on that page is the original photograph taken by the Viking One, and it's at the top of the Wikipedia page. Here we see the tumbled terrain of the Cydonia Basin, and right there at the top center is the shocking, very clear image of a face in what appears to be a three-dimensional stone carving or earthwork. It's resting on the planet's surface and staring back at us. The face has a distinctive eye, nose, and mouth, all in the right positions and proportions, as well as a clearly demarcated headpiece. The image is instantly reminiscent of the carvings of ancient Egyptian faces with their cropped and face-framing headdresses. This face object is huge, two kilometers by two and a half kilometers, and it seems to be a megalithic monument. The argument that divided observers almost instantly was whether or not the face is an artificially created object or the result of the pareidolia effect, that is, the propensity for people to see mirages or patterns where no contrived pattern exists, like a face in the clouds. In my research, I've found four pieces of evidence that suggest that what we see in this photo is a carving of a face made by an intelligent hand. First, as soon as the image was published back in 1976, there was a flurry of interest and NASA was put on the spot and they found themselves backpedaling and addressing questions for which they had no answers. For the ensuing decades, they basically ignored the question of what the face on Mars might be, except to say it was the result of an optical illusion caused by a combination of shadows and pareidolia. Then, a few interesting things happened, and this leads us into my first of four pieces of evidence. To skip to the chase, this first piece of evidence is that each of the successive photographs of the face released to the public by NASA from subsequent missions show progressively worse and worse quality images than the original 1976 picture. In 2001, NASA launched their Mars Global Surveyor Satellite Orbiter mission designed to map the planet's entire surface. This orbiter also captured photos of the Cydonia region where the Viking 1 mission had snapped the now famous face photograph. But when the 2001 images came back, what we saw was a decidedly more blurry, washed out image of something that was roughly the same size and dimensions of the Cydonia face, but with no discernible features and right away the public cried foul. NASA officials claimed that the Mars Global Surveyor satellite had taken the new picture through Martian cloud cover and that was why the photo showed less detail 
And then they went on to say that this photo was of a higher resolution and that there were no features to be seen and that this is why the object no longer looks like a face and these two assertions are obviously contradictory. Image analysts discovered that the photo has been altered and filters had been applied and NASA admitted that this was the case but said that the filters enhanced the image rather than obscuring its details. And this was their photo of the face from 2001. To stick with my progressively worse images evidence, we come to NASA's Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter that took another picture of the face six years later in 2007. And once again, we see an even more degraded image and the same arguments ensued and the same explanations by NASA were echoed. But the fact remains that each successive photograph of this location on Mars show far less detail than the picture taken in 1976. And by and large, this is not the way photographic technology usually works image quality improves over time and does not usually degrade, particularly one would think when you are talking about taking pictures of possible evidence of life on another planet. You can also see these two new photographs on the Wikipedia page linked in the show notes. These are the two images about halfway down under the heading of later images. And this leads us into my second bit of evidence that the face on Mars is an intelligently created artifact and not some washy looking hill as NASA seems so bent on demanding. And this is the 2006 photo taken by the European Space Agency's Mars Express Orbiter. So this photo was taken after the NASA 2001 second kind of blurry photo of the face and before NASA's 2007 third blurrier still photo of the same object and what we see lo and behold is the exact same crisp clear highly defined image of a carved face on Mars and it looks almost identical to the first photo taken by Viking 1 back in 1976. This photo along with the progressively blurry NASA pics, is also available on the Wikipedia page in the show notes. It's the more sepia-tinted image, and you can look at all of them for yourself and see what you think. Now, the more brown-colored image on Wiki from the European Space Agency's Mars Express Orbiter shows a pretty wide view of Cydonia, and the face is small, so you have to zoom in to see it, but it is positively there. It is almost directly in the center of the photo. Click on the photo and it will open in the viewer. Click it again and it will isolate the picture. Click it a third time in the dead center and it will zoom right in on the face and you will see what looks almost exactly like the face we saw from Viking 1 in 76. So how is it that the first picture NASA took in 1976 looks exactly like a face? Then, after everyone freaked out, NASA took two more pictures to calm everyone down and those two pictures are progressively crappier than the last and show nothing. But in the meantime, between the second and third blurry NASA pics, the European Space Agency sends an orbiter that takes a pic that once again is a perfectly clear picture of a face. 
So that's my evidence part one. The NASA pics became blurry after people saw the first clear image. And my evidence part two, the ESA snapped a pic between the second subsequent NASA missions that once again showed an obvious carved face. Part three of the evidence I found is contained in a pretty complex paper entitled Evidence in Support of the Hypothesis that Certain Objects on Mars are Artificial in Origin, which was published in the Journal of Scientific Exploration and was written by Mark J. Carlotto of General Dynamics in 1997. I'll read for you the conclusion of the abstract, then we'll go over a few of the details. So, from the abstract, quote, Findings from a series of independent investigations are summarized and presented as evidence in support of the hypothesis that certain features on the Martian surface are artificial in origin. The discussion focuses on the Cydonia region in Mars's northern hemisphere. The features under investigation include a formation approximately 2.5 by 2 kilometers in size that resembles a humanoid face staring up into space from the surface and a number of nearby objects. Three types of evidence are presented which support the hypothesis that the objects in question are artificial. The first is based on a detailed examination of the objects themselves the second concerns spatial and angular relationships, and the third involves a comparative analysis of the shape of certain objects. Using a Bayesian inference model and assuming the above sources of evidence are mutually independent, we show that the above evidence strongly supports the hypothesis that these objects may be artificial in origin. End quote. The paper goes on to analyze objects in the Cydonia region of Mars, including the face, and by using fractal mathematical analysis, determines that the dimensions and features of the face place it at the number one position as being, quote, the least natural object over an area of about 15,000 square kilometers. The paper then goes through the complex math of a Bayesian inference equation, and we won't even get into what that looks like. I'll post a PDF of the journal article in the dark intel files, and you can go through it there. But the conclusion is that the likelihood ratio of artificiality is between 43 to 1 and 152,600 to 1, 4. That is the likelihood that the face on Mars is the result of artificial intelligent creation and not natural erosion and the pareidolia effect is between 43 to 1 in favor of artificiality to 152,600 to 1 in favor of artificiality. So taking their math at the lowest end, would you bet against a horse that was a 43 to 1 favorite to win? What about a 152,600 to 1 favorite? So that is evidence number three. 
the fourth and final bit of scientific evidence that points to the face on Mars being artificially created centers around a computer program designed to identify man-made objects from above. Work done by Dr. Mark Carlotto involved the creation of algorithmic software designed for military use and deployed to analyze satellite images and other telemetry data to determine the artificiality of objects on the ground. So this is software the military uses to search for things such as military equipment of targeted areas by looking at satellite photos and measurements. Imagine a few tanks on some scrubland border covered by camouflage netting. At first glance in a satellite photo, it looks like vegetation. But this software analyzes the angles and colors and patterns to determine if what's in the image is man-made, and if it is, then they look closer to see what's going on. When this software was applied to the image of the Cydonia face on Mars, the result was a 98% probability of artificiality. The other objects in the Cydonia region have similar artificiality scores and many of these were also analyzed in the aforementioned scientific journal article. Among them are a formation called the D&M Pyramid. The D&M Pyramid is actually more complex than a pyramid as we know it. What is called the D&M Pyramid in Cydonia is actually a five-sided polygon or a pentagon with five triangular faces meeting at a point on top of a three-dimensional structure. This is a seriously complicated design and the likelihood of it forming through erosion is scarce at best. And it isn't just almost a pentagon. The top two panels meet at 60 degree angles. The middle two panels meet at 90 degree angles. And the bottom panel meets at a 60 degree angle. So that's five perfectly symmetrical angles with two at 60 degrees, two at 90 degrees, and one at 60 degrees. This makes a unique and balanced shape and it's hard to make the case for erosion doing it, but NASA still does. Other apparent artifacts on Cydonia include what looks to me to be a carved human skull. It's to the bottom and to the left of most pictures of the Cydonia face. It's equally large, and to me, it looks at least as much like a skull as the face looks like a face, and that's saying a lot. It's complete with jaw, teeth, big hollow eye sockets, and cranium cracks. It's odd to me that no one really ever mentions this skull formation. In fact, I can find next to nothing about it at all. It's strange given all the vast amounts of attention given to the face appearing in many of the same frames as this skull. Moving on from Cydonia, we come to what I think is the second most unexplained photo of an anomaly on Mars. The rodent picture. This is a pretty famous photo taken by the Curiosity rover on September 28, 2012, and it shows a location on Mars known as the Rock Nest Site. This is an area where the rover took soil samples. Scott Waring of UFOSightingsDaily.com first saw the squirrel in the original photo, and his post ended up on the mainstream news, and once again, 
the word pareidolia was slung around by the talking heads for a week or so with the picture on the news screens. When you look at this picture, it looks amazingly like a squirrel or small rodent like a groundhog. It has ears, legs, highlighted fur over its dark eye, and on and on. It could be a rock, but it really, really looks like an animal. Then, there was a second photo of the same area taken sometime later by the Curiosity rover from another angle where we see the two rocks the potential Mars squirrel was between, only in this second photo, no squirrel. This second photo made the alternative message board rounds, but it's a far too complex compare and contrast exercise for the mainstream TV news audience, so it never got the traction that the first picture did. In the places the second missing squirrel photo did get posted, the comment sections lit up with a flurry of trolls screaming, It's a rock. There are two pictures of rocks but few of them would engage anyone who asked how a squirrel-shaped rock appeared in the first picture, but then was not in the same spot in another picture of the same exact place. All of these pictures are in the dark intel files, and if you ever considered supporting Renegade Files on Patreon, do it now so you can see all of these incredible photos and see what you think for yourself. To me, this series of events is one of the most intriguing in the entire Mars Anomalies subject. It brings us back to the dichotomy of either there is a squirrel on Mars or the rover is on Earth. Another curious anomaly in one of the photos shows a craggy cliff face and in one of the shaded cracks in the cliff wall is the unmistakable image of a round donut-like object with a solid round ridged center and eight or so legs reaching out from it. People immediately said it looks like a crab or that facehugger creature from the Alien movies. Whatever it is, if it's just a desert rock, it's the most astounding desert rock I've ever seen. It absolutely looks like some creature, or at least some fossilized creature. Then we have the relief carved statue of what absolutely looks like an Egyptian or Sumerian king. You've seen those three-dimensional statues carved into walls with their arms crossed and sporting decorative beards and lion's mane headdresses? Well, that's what this is, except it's on Mars. It's carved into a rocky cliff face. It has a base, legs, shoulders, a head, a headdress, eyes, a nose, and a pointy ancient Egyptian-type beard. These are just some of the most compelling images that I've gone over here. There are hundreds of images from the Mars rovers scattered across conspiracy and UFO websites as deep as the internet goes. Many of them are decorated with those supremely annoying red circles and green arrows, and many of them are absolute evidence of not only the pareidolia effect, but of some incredible imaginations. But moving on from pictures of out-of-place objects or animals, there are a few other important anomalies or unexplained situations on Mars that we need to address. The first is, how does the rover always get cleaned? Curiosity has been up there for quite a few years at this point, and periodically it will send us a selfie of sorts. 
in many of these pictures we will see the rover and its solar panels totally covered in thick red Martian dust. The deal is that if the solar panels get too dusty, the rover will stop working. Happens to solar panels here on Earth too. NASA says the rover gets covered with this red dust from the heavy Martian winds that stir it up. We've even seen dramatic videos of Martian tornadoes. But then a day or two later, we'll get another selfie from the rover and it will not only be dusted, but it will be sparkling clean, shiny and spotless. How does that happen? Who cleans it? According to NASA, the dust is blown off by the Martian winds. So the wind covers the rover in dust and the wind cleans the rover of dust? That doesn't make any sense. Then there is a picture from one of the rovers that shows the shadow of a person or a Martian alien. I guess a Martian native would be more correct, but he's leaning over the rover with a backpack and you can even see the figure's hair in the shadow. NASA just says it's shadows from the rover. I guess the rover has hair? We also have pictures of what look like trees and bushes. In some of the pictures, these are referred to as the banyan trees. They have fractal-like striations that look like limbs and bushy edges that look like foliage. They look an awful lot like trees from overhead to me. If they aren't trees or big bushes, then what are they? Officially, NASA says they're ice crystals but they appear to be much darker than the soil and rocks around them. They grow bigger in the warm season and they get smaller in the cold season, which is the opposite of what I'd imagine ice crystals do. There is a formation that some say is a parrot. George J. Haas of the Cydonia Institute told George Norrie on Coast to Coast AM that the parrot formation has 17 points of anatomical correctness. That got me excited, but when I looked at the claimed parrot monument, I put it straight into the pareidolia category. If you use your imagination, you can almost see a parrot, but a few things here. First of all, in the official pics, it's shaped like a parrot in the broadest, most hazy way. It looks like an eroded hill that might be a good example of people who have spent way too much time staring at the ground of Mars from orbiter pics. But at the same time, I will admit that it's possible, going on past experience, that there is some crystal clear image of what's obviously a parrot out there somewhere, and the ones I saw might just be watered down or blurred out NASA Photoshop releases like the face. I've looked at the parrot geoglyph pics at the Cydonia Institute, and some look more like parrots than the first ones I saw, but I don't know if those have been changed by people on the boards or not. But the second thing is, if this is a giant parrot image created by some distant Martian race, then we have to assume that there were parrots on Mars too. What are the chances of reptile dinosaurs evolving into feathered runners, evolving into birds, evolving into parrots on Mars in the same way they did on Earth? Maybe. Why not? Apparently there's a groundhog up there too. 
Ultimately, I'll admit that, at least as far as the pictures I've seen, the parrot is a stretch. You could get dizzy looking at Mars rover and orbiter pics until you see your drunk Aunt Mildred carved into a Martian cliffside. One group called the United Family of Anomaly Hunters, organized by Billy Carson, who is a serious and intelligent researcher, has combed over 1 million plus images according to Billy and cataloged 58,000 anomalies out of those 1 million images. That is a heroic effort. Billy Carson says the best tool for searching the rover and orbiter Mars pics is a large high-definition display and a good old-fashioned magnifying glass, because with that you don't get the distortion of digital zoom. Another striking image is known as the crown face. It was discovered in the summer of 2002 by Greg Orme, or Orm, O-R-M-E, when he was looking at NASA images from the Libya Montes region of Mars. It really looks like a face. Like a beautiful young girl with the ridge of the cliff above forming a crown. The best description I can offer for this image is ghostly. It doesn't look like a pareidolia face or even a carved stone face. It looks like a photograph of a person layered into the hillside. It's amazing. Buzz Aldrin said we need to go to Mars because there's a monolith there. I heard him say it in an interview and people were like, what? There are a few objects that look like monoliths or tall towers on the surface of Mars. There is a 300 foot tall monolith on the Mars moon Phobos. No one knows exactly what these things are or no one who's talking knows. They look to be perfectly perpendicular to the surface and they cast long shadows. One is at the base of a cliff and NASA says it's probably a piece of rock that fell from the cliff above and struck into the ground like a spear. Okay. There's also an anomaly known as the doorway. This is a pretty new one. It absolutely looks like an intelligently created doorway entrance into a hillside. Debunkers have said that the doorway is really small, like a foot or two tall and a few inches wide. Even if it is, how do we know Martians weren't smaller than us? Mars is smaller than Earth. Quite a bit smaller, actually. Strange, you may think, since so many of the seemingly intelligent geoglyphs are so huge. But ants can make a big mound. Also, regarding the doorway, it might not be as small as the debunkers say. All the debunkers offer as proof of its size is them saying it's small. But George Haas calculated it to be something like 5 feet tall and 2.5 and feet wide. He uses the average depth of sedimentary layers in that part of Mars to calculate the door height. It's carved into a sedimentary hillside so you can see the layers. There is water, that is specifically H2O, on Mars. The presence of liquid water is something that NASA has gone back and forth on and their observations and publications of findings about the matter actually add a considerable amount of credibility to NASA's honesty, in my opinion, for two main reasons. 
First, liquid water existing on Mars, either now or in the past, is one of the major factors of importance when we are talking about Mars supporting life. Water is a big deal for life, as we understand it. Second, NASA has, it seems, told us in real time about a few critical studies they have done on the subject and the results have evolved, so they have admitted their mistakes and moved ahead to new information. This is very cool because it is the way scientific exploration should evolve. We learn something, we make conclusions, we learn something new, and adjust our theories and then go on. Regarding liquid water on Mars, we have the first major study communicated through NASA's own channels on nasa.gov and the article entitled, NASA Confirms Evidence That Liquid Water Flows on Today's Mars and published in September of 2015. That's a pretty forthright title. The article summarizes data collected by the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, or MRO, that was analyzed with an imaging spectrometer, which adds colors to surface features like temperature and composition, and the data revealed what scientists thought to be liquid water flowing down hillsides in the warm seasons, and that's when the Martian temperatures warm up to a balmy minus 10 degrees Fahrenheit. However, in a subsequent study and article also posted by NASA in November of 2017, they found that the streaks previously thought to be caused by seeping water were actually caused by shifting or cascading sand. It seems that the presence of the streaks only occurs on slopes steep enough for sand to flow down and not on otherwise more gentle slopes where water, if that's what it was, would also seep down but sand would not. When you look at the new photos and read through the newest article, this makes sense. If they were trying to cover up the existence of liquid water, one of the main building blocks of life, they would simply have not published the first article. But they did. Then, when NASA realized they had been wrong, they admitted it and backed it up with a new position with actual science. Well done. Then, in a surprising turn, they discovered and once again let us know about a lake of liquid water under the southern polar ice cap. NASA admits that the water is what they call very briny, so extremely salty, and that in that state, it's unlikely that much life could survive, but they don't rule it out, and once again, we are in the loop, at least as far as we know what we know. If you want to go down the rabbit hole of evidence pointing to the extremely high likelihood that many of the images we are told are of Mars are actually photos taken here on Earth, you can do just that with the Mars Rover Patreon bonus episode. If you're already a Renegade Files agent on Patreon, check it out at your convenience. If you've considered joining the Insider crew on the Renegade Files Patreon page, now is the time. Just click the Patreon link in the show notes or from our website, therenegadefiles.com. If you like Renegade Files, you'll love all of the exclusive deep content, bonus episodes, and total weirdness that the Renegade Files agents get up to on Patreon. It's easy and fast to subscribe, and by joining the RFA on Patreon, you help crowdfund the show and you get tons of exclusive content. In the second issue of Race to the Moon, which is a comic book published in 1958, 
One of the stories in the comic is called The Face on Mars, and it's about astronauts finding a giant stone face on the surface of Mars, and that was in 1958. This is often cited as predictive programming by some secret space program that existed almost 20 years before we actually photographed the now famous face on Mars. Things like this are strange, and we often find ourselves engaging in conversations about simulation theory and time travel and, as I said, predictive programming. Even if this is none of these, it's still validation that we do indeed live in a strange and mysterious world where sometimes comic books predict the future. In the comic book, astronauts discover a face on Mars and go down to explore it. They climb the huge stone structure with climbing gear and find that the pupils of the eyes are actually tunnels that lead to a hall of visual records. That sounds exactly like the thinking of a Martian to me. That's so cool. These visual records depict the tragedies that befell the ancient Martians and explain that the civilization still lives on the planet, but underground. Gordo and Emmett Quinn from the podcast Those Conspiracy Guys, TCG, did a Life on Mars episode where they mentioned a Disney movie called Mars and Beyond that was made in 1957. That's a year before the Kirby comic about the face on Mars came out. Those were the glorious space race years, and this is one of the weirdest Disney movies I've ever seen, and that's saying something. Walt Disney himself introduces this documentary-style cartoon while having an on-screen conversation with a gleaming, beeping robot. The movie goes on to speculate about the wild cast of Martians waiting for us to visit them. It kind of takes the premise that there is totally life on Mars and we're just gearing up to go hang out with whoever or whatever they end up being. It's hard to know if this film was made for kids or adults or both, but it's bizarre either way. I'll put a link to those Conspiracy Guys website on the show notes and you can find their Mars episode by searching around. It's a deep dive ride. You can find the Disney movie Mars and Beyond on the TCG BitChute page with a quick BitChute search. Check it out if you're up for a trippy, totally mental, speculative, space-age cartoon. My summary. Some pretty heavy hitters, such as both Art Bell and Carl Sagan, have pointed out that it would be in NASA's best interest to confirm any possible evidence of past life on Mars because it would re-energize the space program and provide both public interest in and justification for manned missions to Mars. They contend that a robotic rover can go up there and take soil and air samples and pictures of rocks just fine, but if there are statues and old machines up there, then let's send some people up there to see what's going on. I tend to disagree at this point. And what I mean is that maybe when Carl Sagan suggested this in the 1980s, that that may have been more the case. But these days, it seems like big government spending and programs are far less dependent on public opinion. They print huge sums of cash and rake trillions from taxpayer generations, both present and future, and the giant government agencies do largely as they wish, at least in the U.S. This results in a general mess from their incessant tinkering. 
The question of whether or not NASA is telling us everything they find on Mars is debatable. NASA contracts include a data delivery plan which stipulates that any information, and this includes photographs obtained by the Mars missions, must be provided to the public within, get this, six months of their gathering. There is also a provision that states that anything they find that is of importance to the public must be released within seven days, but what constitutes of importance to the public is left at that, and it's subject to vast whims of interpretation, so it's toothless. A six-month delay gives them ample time to edit and filter and alter all the data and photographs which they constantly admit to doing. On a related subject of sending a manned mission to Mars, Nick Redfern suggests that the issue becomes not a mechanical or technical problem, but a human, psychological, and physical problem, and I agree. First of all, according to NASA, a round trip to Mars and back takes about 21 months. Nine months there, a three-month wait for the planets to align and be closer again because the orbits of Earth and Mars never stop, and the two planets change their relative distances apart from each other, and we want to go when they're the closest, and then nine months back. So nine months there, three months hanging out there, and nine months back. So that gives the manned mission three months on Mars, which seems like a pretty decent situation. The problem is, first, as Nick Redfern suggests, that you have to send more than one person. How many? I don't know, but Nick says eight. I'd say less, maybe four. One person alone is out. Two is no good either, because what if one dies? three might do it and four is probably the maximum and this is just purely my speculation for argument's sake so let's say we want to send four people on the first manned mission to mars of the four one has to be a paramedic or emergency type doctor that person should also be a scientist to do work for the trip a biologist or whatever and in the end it's irrelevant who and what the people are The issue is, what you're talking about is four people living in a very small space, like, say, the size of a Volkswagen van, for three months shy of two years. What are the psychological implications for that crew? How do they handle being so far from Earth that it looks like a star? You are so utterly distant and remote that it boggles the mind. Millions of miles away from your home planet, What if one of them loses it? And let's just say that they all make out fine mentally for the entire 21-month trip. The real challenge is the physical reality of four people, in our example, living for 21 months. Four people times three meals a day for 21 months is 7,560 meals. That would fill a warehouse. How do you get that to Mars and back? And some might say, well, you don't have to eat three full meals a day, and sure, but you still need food. Even if you divide that in half, you're still talking about two tons of food. And that isn't including water. How much water do they need? If each person drinks the suggested eight glasses a day, and if we calculate a gallon of water at eight pounds, 
it's actually something like 8.33 pounds, but at eight pounds a gallon, to have enough water for four people for 21 months, we're talking about 10,000 pounds of water. So water and food for a four-person trip to Mars and back amounts to seven tons of material goods. And that's cutting the amount of food we're used to in half. And let's not forget that the rocket, if we are talking about today's technology, has to also carry enough fuel for the return trip. And as soon as we start talking about carrying fuel for the return journey, the amount of fuel to get there increases at alarming rates because you also have to carry additional fuel to propel a heavier rocket that's now carrying more fuel to get home on and we end up with the same problem described by Werner von Braun in the exponential increase of fuel to carry fuel because the added fuel increases the payload which requires more fuel. So now you need more fuel to carry the extra fuel. Then you need added fuel to be able to get there with that payload of extra fuel. And when you bring that extra fuel, you then need more fuel to carry that added fuel and it very quickly spirals up. And the further you are traveling, the bigger of an issue this becomes. And Mars is far. Dig? Given this situation, Von Braun said that the rocket they would require to get to the moon and back would have to be as big as the Empire State Building. At that point, NASA got a second opinion and decided they could make it with a Saturn V rocket and the rest is history. Dubious history, perhaps. And remember that Von Braun calculated a rocket the size of the Empire State Building to get to the moon which is 250,000 miles away. Mars is 140 million miles away. That's 560 times as far and 560 times as far back. And the crew flying to Mars and living in the vacuum of space for 21 months also has to breathe for that entire time, 21 months. Maybe there are oxygen-generating methods I don't know about, but in any case, a human mission to Mars becomes a serious logistical and material challenge because of the vast distances and time frames involved. The Van Allen radiation belts, one micrometeor the size of a golf ball decimates the entire ship. We have our work cut out for us to get people to Mars. And this brings up a good point. A lot of people opine about going to Mars to terraform it so we can have a new planet to jump on once we have successfully ruined this one. And this is madness. Of all the places in a Hubble telescope's view from here, this is the most amazing planet we know of. I'm all for exploration. Absolutely I am. Let's go to Mars. Let's go further. Let's invent time-space-folding quantum hyperspace and go to the outer rim. But don't be delusioned into imagining that we don't have to take care of Earth anymore because we can just jump to Mars. Mars is cool. Something about it draws our attention and has ever since the first stargazing humans noticed the red planet in the night sky. Many 
and I do mean many of the Mars anomalies are rocks that fire familiar synapses in our brains and conjure earthly objects from the misty reaches of pareidolia. But some of the most convincing Mars anomalies have been proven through extensive mathematics and intelligent applications to be more than what we should expect from erosion mixed with imagination. Taken as a whole, the things we see on Mars, if they were the result of intelligent life, are artifacts that are ancient beyond our common definitions of that term. Millions of years old. If you recall Renegade Files episode number 3, Boris Kiprianovich, the boy from Mars, and can you believe that was episode 3 and now we're on episode 25? Awesome. But in that episode, we learned that there's corroborated evidence of two very large nuclear explosions occurring on Mars in the distant past. Mars has always been known as the planet of war. It's been named for the ancient gods of war in multiple civilizations. Described as being part of a space war that sent refugees into the solar system millions of years ago. Maybe our warlike reflexes stem from some ancient relationship to the warriors who destroyed Mars. And perhaps the desolation and red dust relics that seem to litter the surface of Mars are silent distant warnings for us. We have a planet where life is irrepressible. It springs forth as weeds from every crack. Vines and insects and rodents and fungus will literally overrun our homes unless we beat them all back continually with pest control, herbicides, and manual labor. Drive down any roadway or look out from any window and you will see plants, grass, birds, other people, all of our machines, blue sky, white clouds, clouds that rain fresh water onto us freely, oceans that cover the majority of the planet that are filled with more life than we can comprehend. Most of the people who say that this planet is dead or the oceans are polluted beyond hope or that the forests are wastelands of decay, never actually go into the ocean, never go into the woods, never look away from their TV or up from their phone. All the death and destruction and decay that they know and see, they see on television and on a phone screen. I'm not saying we can't do better, but I am saying don't believe the fear mongers. Fear mongers always have something they want to sell you. They sell you fear and despair so that you give up. They cash the checks you write to them behind gated driveways and cruise the islands they tell you are polluted in their yachts. They put their feet up at their beach houses and gaze at the oceans they tell you are no longer worth visiting. So look up at Mars and imagine what life was like there millions of years ago when whoever carved a mile-high face walked its surface. Imagine standing at the base of a pyramid on Mars and watching the sun set behind it in the Martian sky. Wonder if we could grow arctic plants on the Martian polar ice caps to trap more solar heat 
melt the poles, flood the surface with liquid water that evaporates to make an atmosphere where then we could live and breathe. Imagine a terraformed Mars where we could have fields of food, cities of opportunity, and gatherings of friends. Then look around and remember that we're on a planet where we already have all of those things and more. Do we also have sorrow and hardships? Yes. But we don't have only sorrow and hardship. Don't believe someone who tells you that we do. Thank you so much for traveling to Mars on the Renegade Files Starship Cydonia. Thank you for helping the show grow by sharing it with other people like us who are into crazy covert culture. They're our tribe, so keep bringing them in. And an extra thank you if you're an RFA agent on Patreon. You keep diesel in the generators here at the Jungle Villa Outpost, and you make the show not just possible, but ad-free, so thank you. One fast update for the Renegade Files crew. The production of the Renegade Files hats is all sorted out now. The hats are embroidered, not printed with ink, but legitimately thread embroidered with the Renegade Files UFO triangle logo. They're really nice, low-profile, 100% cotton twill baseball caps with an infinitely adjustable brass buckle strap at the back, and the second I put mine on, it felt like a favorite hat I'd had for years. You can get yours in black, red, navy, pink, or khaki. Check them out in our online merchandise store through the link in the show notes or at therenegadefiles.com. If you buy one, you help support the show, but we made the price low because we really just want the hats. Visit the store now and get a cool Renegade Files hat so you can protect your head and shade your eyes on your next paranormal stakeout. Until our next mission, I'm your host, Lex Gordon. Stay wild, space-age child.